Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Last week, we talked about the body of Christ, and and this week, we're going to speak about the blood of Jesus. We're looking at the the rite, the ritual, the sacrament of communion and where it comes from in Scripture and what does it mean for us in, um, in our lives today. Thousands and thousands of years after it was initiated, we take part with Christians all over the globe that goes back thousands of years in this ritual of communion. But what does it mean? What does it represent? And what's happening? Where does it all come from? When we take communion, we take the bread and we take the cup, and it's a picture of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And today, I want to talk to you about Jesus's blood, the blood of the covenant. Will you turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 26, and we're going to read a couple verses together, verses 26 through 28. Matthew, chapter 26. As you turn there, I just want to say I'm so glad that you're here at church this is your first time. My name is Jordan Boyce. I'm the pastor here, and I'm really, really glad that you are here. If you want to jump into all the things that's happening in the church, we have movement course uh, afterwards, and which is a phenomenal thing, bringing into all that's happening in the church. So right afterwards, right upstairs, is movement course, and you'll learn about Jesus and the life and the history of the church and all the ministries and so many different ministries. We've got a phenomenal youth ministry on Thursday night, which is amazing. You got young people, you bring them out to that Thursday at seven. I would always tell parents, give me, I think I, I would say, uh, give me three. Give me three weeks. Give me three weeks. And if I lose them, let it be on me, but I guarantee I can grab them in three weeks. You know, bring your, your child because there's nothing more important than their eternity. We got youth ministry, we got men's ministry, we got all these different things. Remnants coming up soon, and, and I just want you to know you're part of a living and active church. Is it Crew Week this week, Pastor Dave? Is it Crew Week? Oh, thank you, Front Row. You guys are you guys are tuned in, man. You you almost said yes to me like I should have known. <laughs> there's no condemnation. For those who are in Christ, are you in Matthew chapter 26? Matthew 26, verse 26. The Bible says this. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my body. This is my blood of the covenant. Today, I want to look at the theme, the word covenant. The whole Bible is about covenant. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. But can I tell you what kind of relationship it is? It's a covenantal relationship. From beginning to end, how God interacts with mankind is through covenant. He is a covenant-making God. He made a covenant with Adam. He made a covenant with Noah. He made a covenant with Abraham and reaffirmed it with Isaac and Jacob. And, And he made a covenant with David, saying, you and your seed shall sit on the throne forever. His covenant with Noah was that God would protect the earth. He made a covenant with his people at Mount Sinai, saying, if you follow me and if you honor me, I will be your God. He is a covenant-making God. 
We, when we read the Bible, we've divided it into something called the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament is the God of Israel, but the New Testament begins with the life of Jesus Christ. But do you know another word that could be used for that word testament is covenant. It's the Old Covenant, which was under the blood of animals. Then there's the New Covenant, which is under the blood of the Lamb, who is Jesus Christ. And you have to understand that it was always God's plan to be in covenant with us. He did not come up with it after man sinned. Before the dawn of creation, Jesus was set apart as the perfect spotless lamb of God who would shed his blood. Why? So that we could be in covenant with God. And you have to understand what covenant means. Covenant in the Hebrew form is a word that means to cut or to shed blood. For there is no covenant without a cutting, without a shedding, without blood. It is, a blood, it is blood that binds a covenant. It is the price of agreement, contract, relationship. And God comes to us, and he comes to us today. And this is kind of difficult to even fathom that the God of the universe, almighty, omniscient, comes to us and says, not only do I want to know you, and not only do I want you to know me, I want to be connected with you at the deepest level possible. I want to be covenanted with you. Amen. It's like a picture of marriage. When you say those vows, you're making a covenant. The exchanging of rings is a covenant. And God comes to us and he says, I want a serious relationship with you. And I will be faithful until the end. And even death will not do us part with God. For it is an eternal covenant. Today I want to talk to you about the covenant of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. God, that you are so good, that even when we are faithless, you are faithful, God. Even when we are not good enough, you are more than enough. And I thank you, God, that you base your relationship not on our performance, but on yourself, God, because you are faithful and true to a thousand generations. And I just pray right now, God, even as I speak, will you speak in the mighty name of Jesus? Come on, all God's people said, Amen. with great expectation, they said, Amen. 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 On our... Last tour in Israel, when Awakening um, went to Israel, we, we, uh, we stopped the last day in a city called Jaffa, or Joppa. This is a little seaside town in the Mediterranean, and it, it, it really was like, a, like Newport, you know, by, by the sea, ancient Israel, Newport. And it's a beautiful little town, and it's actually one of the oldest cities that has been inhabited uh, since the beginning of time. Joppa is famous for, uh, it's the location where Jonah decided not to do what God had, and he got on a, he got on a boat there, and he went the opposite direction, and it's, it's, it's still a city, and it's still, it's still thriving, and we had a couple hours before we were going to take off from Tel Aviv, and so we uh, parked the bus, and we went shopping, and I remember the last time I was there, that up, up on the hill, there's like a very little town square, it's really beautiful, and there was an old antique shop there. And when I say antique shop, I, I, I was looking for a different word, because when I say antique shop here, we think of like, like slightly above thrift shop. You know, like 1980s Coca-Cola products. That's our, that's American antiques. Like old to us is a 60-year-old chair, you know, We're like. But these antiques are thousands of years old. And, and they have things that, that go all the way back to the Bronze Age, to the Roman times. And so I wanted to go to that kind of antique shop. When we walked in, there was this old man there, and I remembered him from before. He told us at the end he was 89 years old, still running his shop every day. 
and he loved Josh, my brother-in-law, and he didn't so much love me. I was thinking about it, I think it came down to our bartering styles. Josh is effusive with his compliments to barter. He's trying to get them lower. Some of you don't know what bartering even is, that's the price. But there, no price is the price. So you just, you, you go back and forth. And Josh just is, comp I'm belligerent with my bartering, you know? So, so we were going back and forth. What I was looking for was, I, I wanted to get a Roman bracelet. I wanted a, a simple cuff of bronze or something like that. And, and I, I wanted to wear something that was thousands of years old. And so, and so I asked him if he had anything like that. And he said, well, go, go look in the box. And, and just there's this huge box with, box with ancient rings and pearls and necklaces and, and all sorts of kind of bracelets. And I found one that was really cool. And it, and it was kind of, it, was, it, was, it seemed to me obviously a bracelet, a cuff, and it was curved and it had kind of these, these like, these cool, I don't, I don't know, they weren't snakes, they weren't dragons, they were just these, I don't know what they were, they were, because I wouldn't buy anything with snakes, but they were like these cool, <laughs> these carvings, you know? And I said, oh, what about this? And he goes, oh, that, that's old, that's old, that's Roman times, you know, that's, that's, that's ancient Rome. And I said, well, I, I want to get it for a bracelet. And he says, that's not a bracelet. And I'm holding it up, and clearly this is a bracelet. And he says, no, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's an agreement. It's a, it's a fide bracelet. It's, it's meant for ritual agreement, making a contract. And he, and he shows me, he says, look, in ancient Rome, when there was gonna be an agreement, there had to be a ritual, a rite that something had taken place. And he says, so they made these cuffs and, and you grabbed one end and you, you, you put it out and the other person grabbed the other end. And you were making an agreement and it was an agreement like set in metal, set in stone. And, and as you held it, you took your side. And when they held it, they took their side. And you're claiming dual responsibility that each must uphold this unbroken trust. And he holds it out to me and he goes, 500 shekels. <laughs> and I said, I'll, I'll take it, 200 shekels. I didn't end up buying it. <laughs> this is not it. This is for illustration purposes only. <laughs> that probably doesn't help my illustration, but... <laughs> Really interesting to see this concept of covenant goes back to the Roman world and they got it from the ancients before them. And that there is a universal knowledge that where there is covenant, where there is contract, where there is agreement, there must be a binding. This is the exchanging of rings and the marriage vows. There's a binding together in covenant that you and I agree by faith. This is a fide ring. This is, I'm taking this on faith. I have faith in you that you're gonna hold up your end of the bargain. You have faith in me that I'm going to agree on what we established. And, and you have to understand Christianity is all about covenant. Jesus' ministry, the purpose of his ministry was to establish covenant. And not just any kind of covenant, a new, eternal, forever, everlasting covenant. And he paid a high price for this covenant. It was paid for in his blood. His ministry was to establish a covenant. And if Jesus didn't establish a new covenant, please hear me, we would be cut off from God. Because the reality is we could not hold our part up. The reality is that we all fall short of the glory of God. The reality is that, that even if we wanted to make the covenant with God, 
we would end up falling short. So it had to be another man, a greater man, fully God, fully man, who came and establishes a new covenant so that we would not be cut off from God. God offers the covenant, but Jesus takes the other side. And we come alongside in Jesus, co-heirs with Christ, covered by his blood. And because Jesus won't let go, we get to not let go. We enter the covenant with God, our creator, the immortal, through Jesus Christ. Well, where does this come from? Where does this covenant start? If you want to understand God's beginning covenants, you have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. You have to look at the covenant that's established with Abraham. God comes to Abraham most likely in the region of Jerusalem. Last week, I, I spoke to you about you know, some of his story, and we're actually gonna pick up on the very next verse in the very next chapter of Abraham's story. God comes to him outside of or in the valley of Jerusalem because for some reason God has chosen all of his covenants to center around Jerusalem. And by the way, his new covenant is gonna be in New Jerusalem that we are gonna be a part of. So God has a place, he has a covenantal place that he, he meets with mankind, and God comes and he meets with the man that he has chosen, Abraham, to establish a new Covenant. See, Abraham had just come back from war. He had to rescue Lot, his nephew, because Lot had gotten caught up with the world. You remember they separated, and, and Abraham says, I'll go right, you go left. You choose where you want to go. Well, Lot chose poorly, and he went to a place of comfort and greenery, but in that plain was Sodom, the, the ancient city. And that city was evil, and Lot knew it, but yet he crept closer and closer to the city until eventually he lived in the city, because that's what evil does. It, it, it takes you not all at once. It takes, you, it takes you little by little until you are captured. And he was captured when all of a sudden the city fell into destruction as foreign kings invaded and he was taken hostage in slavery because sin always leads to slavery. And he's taken away from his home and, and, and he's lost. So Abraham now, the man of faith, has to go and rescue Lot. It's a picture of Christ coming and rescuing us. And he goes and he fights the battle for his nephew that he didn't deserve. And Abraham won and he takes back Lot, his nephew. He takes back all of the, all of the, 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 the people of, of that city of Sodom and all of their belongings. He, he takes it all back and, and now he's passing through Jerusalem. He pays the tithe to the high priest, the king of Jerusalem. It's a picture of Christ. And, 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 and then another king comes up to him. It's the king of Sodom, the one that was weak, the one that had no power, the one that just lost, and he comes to Abraham and he says, how about this? Let's make an agreement. Just give me my people back and everything that you just won in war, you keep the spoils. It'll be all yours. Now, this is instant, immense wealth. Sodom was immensely wealthy. In one moment, this is like winning the lottery ancient style. In one moment, Abraham could have been blessed. Now, don't forget, I mean, this isn't my sermon, but this is powerful. Abraham was already promised to be blessed. So he could have said, this is my moment. Just like when David was promised to be king, he could have killed Saul and said, Lord, you promised me. But they knew something about God that if God promises it, God fulfills it. God fulfills it. Not the world, not man, not culture. And so Abraham makes this difficult decision and rejects everything, says, I will not take one thing from you. Because when God blesses me, I love the faith, you don't get to say, I made Abraham blessed. 
That was me. That was my stuff. That was, my, that was me. He says, Sodom will never get to claim me. The world never gets to claim me. Evil never gets to claim me. Culture never gets to claim me. The enemy never gets to claim me. Satan never gets to claim me. I will only receive my blessings from the one that made the promise. And so he walks away from this battle that he just fought with nothing in his hands. But God saw what happened, and God says, I'm going to show up, and I'm going to, I'm going to let Abraham in on something. I'm going to show him something. And that's where we catch up in the book of Genesis chapter 15. God shows up, and after these things, what we just spoke about, the word of the Lord came to Abram. He's not yet Abraham. In a vision, and this is what, this is what God's word says, do not be afraid. This is the first time of 70 times when this phrase is used in the Bible, do not be afraid. Maybe it's because that's our default direction and anytime God shows up, God brings courage, God brings bravery, God brings fearlessness, God brings strength. Every time the presence of God shows up, he lets you know you are not called to be afraid. And there were plenty of reasons for Abraham to be afraid. He's alone, he's in a foreign country, and you know, he just went to war. And you might win that battle, but is another one coming? And God says, but don't be afraid. Why? I'm your shield. I'm your protection. I fight your battles. I go before you. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Sodom says, I'll reward you. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm your reward. I'm your blesser. I'm your king. I'm the one that will throw open the windows of heaven before you. I'm the one that will go before you, fight your battles, and bring victory to you. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. This phrase was said thousands of years ago, but it is so powerful still today. What a promise from God. What a covenant that God shows up and says, I got you 100%. I got you. I'm your shield and your reward. What's happening in this moment? God is extending a covenant. Don't be afraid. Trust in me. I'll be everything that you need. And the question that you and I have is, will we grasp God's covenant by faith or will we wait for evidence for other people around us, for right circumstances or situations, God's offer must be grasped by faith, fide. This is a faith covenant, and you must reach for God, not wait for him to do all of it. I, I, I feel like God doesn't just say this phrase to Abraham. I think he says it to all of his children. He extends this covenant to you and to I, and he does it today. In fact, I want us to read it together. When you get to Abram's name, put your own name in there. Say it over yourself, because this is God's covenant to you. Come on, let's say it together. Do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. The enemy is going to try and bring fear into your finances, especially in times like this, but I want you to please hear me. Federal government is not your exceedingly great reward. Your boss and all those promotions are not your exceedingly great reward. I love Dave Ramsey, but he is not my exceedingly great reward. Crypto going off or crashing. 
Stocks, portfolio, 401k, they are not our shield. They are not our exceedingly great reward. You might not need to write this in the mirror and say it in the morning. Today, I'm not gonna be afraid because this is the word of God for me. And the question I have for you today is, will you reach for this truth and grasp it by faith or will you wait for evidence? But the Bible says faith comes by hearing the word of the Lord. This, this, is, what, this is what God asks you to do right now is, is to reach out. And this is what Abraham did. In Genesis 15, 6, the Bible says, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So powerful, the righteous shall live by faith. You, if you desire to live a righteous life, it's not that complicated and it's really not that difficult. Here it is, here's the, the, how it works. He believed and was counted as righteous. He believed. He didn't change anything just yet. He didn't do anything just yet. He didn't walk a certain way, do a certain thing. He simply did one thing. He believed in God. He believed in his word. He believed in the promise, and here it is accounted to him as righteousness. I am here to tell you today that God is looking for people who believe. He is looking for believing people. Well, that's kind of difficult now because it's out of style to, to believe. In the age of reason, skepticism and science, we're saying, I want data, I want, I want, I want articles, I want peer-reviewed, I want research, and God says, I want trust. I want faith. I, I, I want belief. And it's even really difficult now in a cynical age where those that we believed in have let us down. Institutions and organizations we've believed in have fallen short. And God says, I'm not asking you for you to believe in all that out there, but I am looking for you to believe in me. God's looking for believers. And that's the line that you gotta cross. That's the line you gotta cross because as powerful as the word of God is and as much data as there is to back it up and every single archeological discovery that's found backs up the narrative of the Bible. And even though it is logical and it is brilliant and the greatest minds that have ever lived back up the Bible, the truth is there is a line. and You're gonna have to cross it. And it's the line of belief. That in the end, God says, I want faith from you. I want trust from you. God's saying, do you believe? Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that God is a healer? Do you believe that God is the one that he says he is? Do you believe that God forgives? Do you believe that God is more than enough? Because in Hebrews, it tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You've gotta believe that he is a rewarder. So we see God engaging with this covenant with Abram and his descendants and, and God is looking for him to cross that gap and to say, Lord, I choose you. Lord, I choose you. I choose you. And, and I, I just, I wanna not move on from this just yet because I really feel like I think sometimes we wanna follow God as long as he's making it very, very clear what he's doing. And that eliminates belief. And sometimes God will hide himself behind the veil, not because he's any different, but because he's looking for a different response from us. He's looking for the response of belief. 
and I, I, I need you to please hear me. God will never let us, he'll never let this thing go. After all the apologetics and all of the thinking and all of the confirmations, I think it's good to seek confirmations, but I'm telling you, in the end, you've gotta be a believer. That's what brings you into righteousness. And that's what brings Abraham into the covenant with God. God loves his righteousness. And, 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 and God says, okay, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this promise with you. And Abraham says, well, is there a sign that I know? For, is there a ritual? Is there something physical that, that shows this promise? And God gives Abraham some very unique instructions. In Genesis 15, he says, first he reminds Abraham of who he is, which is always what God does. Remember how far I brought you. Now I'm gonna bring you further, but we're gonna make a covenant here and now. And he said, I want you to take animals and they're gonna be sacrifices because every covenant requires a cutting. Blood. It's the blood of animals. And he says, I want you to go get five different animals. I want you to go get a, a calf and a ram and a goat and a, 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 a turtle dove and a pigeon. And these five animals, by the way, are the animals that are gonna be the basis for the religion of Judaism, the atonement, um, the rituals, the, the, the forgiveness, the, the high priest. It's all based on this. It doesn't start with man, it starts with God. God says, I want you to get all of these animals. And then he says something very interesting, and I want you to cut them in half except for the birds, which is funny to me. It's just kind of funny, probably because God's like, no, that's gonna be too wild. <laughs> and I want you to lay one half on one, half, on one side and one half on the other side. And what are, you, what, are you, what are you doing? You're making a pathway of blood. You're making a pathway of sacrifice. And, and for us, when we hear something like this, we say, what on earth is happening here? Because we don't understand covenants. We don't understand blood pacts. That's not in our culture. But if we, if, if we were reading this in our time, it would be, it would be as clear as if the Bible said God, God came to one of us and said, I wanna make an agreement with you, a contract, so go get a pen, go get a piece of paper, go get a notary, go get a lawyer, and I'll meet you in the conference room. Like, oh, okay, they're making a contract. That's what the, that's what the people of, of, of Abraham's time would have known. Oh, okay, we understand what's happening here. There's a covenant that's about to be made. So Abraham does this. And he creates this gauntlet of blood and lays it down because, see, the ritual was at that time that when there was an agreement made, first the, the greater, the stronger, would walk through that agreement. The, the victor, the conqueror, would walk through that covenant and would walk between the animals. And then the second person. And when you were walking through that covenant, what you were saying was, if I break this covenant, let it be to me what happened to them. Let me be cut, let me be bled, let me die. That was what was inferred through the symbolism of this covenant. Abraham lays it out, preparing to make this covenant with God. And the Bible says in Genesis 15, 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot, something like incense, and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give all this land. God himself walks through the blood. God himself walks through the sacrifice. 
and he's shown as fire and smoke. And if you read the Bible, you know that this is clearly God. This is the same God that showed up to Moses in a burning bush, the same God that showed up at Mount Sinai in fire and smoke and great noise, and all the people were scared at the might and the power. This is the same God that when he showed up as Jesus, John the Baptist said, I baptize in water, but this is the one that baptizes in the Holy Spirit and in our God is a consuming so when God shows up, he shows up as fire. And he walks through the sacrifice to make the covenant. But here's the interesting thing about this covenant. Abram never walks through it. Only God. See, the covenant was with Abraham. But if he walked through, so the curse would be on him as well. And what God is doing and what God is saying is, I'm gonna make the covenant, but I'm gonna take it all on me. All the responsibility is gonna be on me. And if it's broken, even the curse is gonna be on me. I'm taking it all on myself. Think of how good God is. Knowing that we couldn't keep up our end of the bargain, says I will take all of the weight on myself, give all of the blessing to you. I'll take all of the cutting and give all of the healing. I'll take all of the bitterness and give all of the forgiveness. I'll take all of the of the disease and I'll give all of the strength. This is a God that is good beyond comprehension. And God always had this plan to take the covenant and the consequence upon himself because he knew only he could keep the covenant. Because there must be an atonement for sin. Sin is breaking covenant, sin is falling short and there must be an atonement in blood. If the covenant is broken, blood is required. But here's the good news. Before Abraham goes to go, God puts him into a deep sleep because he says, you can't do this. But thousands of years later, Jesus steps in. And it's almost as if he steps in front of Abraham. He steps in front of us, fully God, fully man. Who is Jesus? He is the seed of Abraham. And what does he walk? He walks the blood path to take the curse upon himself, the consequence upon himself to give his life. He steps in and essentially says, I'll walk through. I'll walk through. He, he, he does what we would have had to do. He takes on what we should have endured. And then what does he do? He does it all to establish a new covenant in his blood. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter nine. It says, but Christ came. And man, that's a powerful phrase right there. Because we were in trouble, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with human hands. In other words, greater than the temple. We're talking about heaven, not of this creation. And not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all. No more rituals. No more sacrifices. His blood is more than enough, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, clean your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. By means of death, 
for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You come into a new covenant with Jesus Christ. The old that was broken, he took upon himself and he says, I'm here to establish something new. And it's not by the blood of animals. It's by the perfect spotless lamb. Revelation says they that overcame, overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They tell how the blood got them through. It's the power of the blood that brings you to God. It's a contract that we don't deserve. That we broke and yet we get to enter into a new one under Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. Are you seeing this picture? And we get all the benefits of the blood of Jesus. Healing, forgiveness, reconciliation, recreation. All of that because Jesus said, I'll spill my blood. And I'll pay the price. Only Jesus could have done this. And it's because of Jesus that we're not cut off. It's because of Jesus we get to have a relationship with God. You know, something that we take for granted. I'm going to church, I'm going to worship. You know, even in our church, I think we could even take for granted the fact that his presence is here. Because I've been to a lot of churches that his presence was not. Maybe it was just that weekend, I don't know. But every Sunday, the presence of God is here. Because he, he responds to the praises of his people. I don't want to take that for granted as if I deserve the presence. No, his presence comes because the blood of Jesus opens the way. Forgiveness and reconciliation. It's because Jesus walked the blood path. When Jesus stood thousands of years later in condemnation by man, what was he doing? But he was preparing to finish the old covenant with Abraham, to fulfill it and to replace it with a new covenant with himself. And, and Pilate brings out two men, Jesus and Barabbas. And he lets the crowd judge. And he lets the crowd choose. Because the reality is everyone has a choice. Joshua says, choose today whom you will serve. And Jesus, we know, is the son of the living God. But do you know what Barabbas means? Bar means son. Abba means father. Barabbas presents himself as the son of God as well. There's the real and there's the counterfeit. And the reality is everyone will have to choose between the real and the counterfeit. And the counterfeit always presents itself, remember, as an angel of light. Satan's too smart to present himself as evil. He always presents as good. And so here is the presentation of the two before the crowd. And we have to choose. Whose blood? Whose life? And you know that the crowd, when they're going back and forth between the two, they begin to shout, give us Barabbas. We want that son of the father. Jesus is, the, is perfect, but Barabbas is condemned. Think of it, Jesus is the one that gave life, but Barabbas is a murderer. He takes life. Jesus is the one that that is going to establish a new kingdom. Barabbas is trying to overthrow the old kingdom. You couldn't get two different people and two different ideologies. And so many times, if we're not careful, we might choose the counterfeit, the less than, the wrong way. Choose man or choose self or choose politics or choose government as if any of that could save us. 
choose the counterfeit spiritualism. You gotta be careful because we have a choice. And you know what's interesting? Usually the one the crowd is shouting for is the wrong one. Usually the one that is acceptable to men is not acceptable to God. I just have to warn you that usually the one that you choose will put you out of step with the one everyone else chooses. Why it is the way that leads to destruction. Many find it, but few find the way to eternal life. They choose Barabbas, but Pilate knows in his heart this is the wrong person they're choosing. In fact, he didn't even... He, he didn't even want to crucify Jesus at the beginning. He tells the chief priests, I've talked to him. I find no fault in this man. He examined him and he, he found, let's listen to the words, no fault, perfection. He says there's something good about this man. In fact, he asked Jesus what is truth because he could sense that this man is truth. And Pilate has a choice too and he's standing face to face with God and he's that close. And he has to make a choice. Do I condemn you or do I accept you? And like the crowd, we're going to stand in Pilate's place and we have to choose whether we receive Christ, we receive truth, or whether we condemn him. And you might think, well, I would never condemn him. Well, that's what Pilate thought as well. Pilate says, I, I don't really agree with this. So he says, so I, I wash my hands. He, he, he actually has water brought out and he says, I wash my hands of this situation. I'm out, I'm neutral. He says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. But the reality is when it comes to Jesus, there is no neutral choice. You're either for or against. Non-action is action. Because blood is, blood is thicker than water. And and I think sometimes people might think they can take the path of Pilate and say, I'm not against God. I can even sense that there's something good there. I can even sense that there might be truth there. I find no fault with him, but I'm agnostic. You know, there's maybe lots of different ways. Please hear me. This is, this is the choice of Pilate. And, we, and you might even want to say, like, I, I'm, I'm not against Jesus, but I'm not necessarily for him. But, but God does not offer us that choice. Choose today whom you will serve. And here's the goodness of God, that God will give you multiple opportunities to make the right choice and multiple voices. That's why God has your aunt witnessing to you and has you watching Joel Osteen and has you, because God's trying to get you any way he can. That's why you're here today. Do you know that Pilate's wife had a dream and sent it, a message to her husband say, don't you dare condemn this man. Have nothing to do with man, this man. What, what's God doing? He's giving him every chance to make the right choice. That's what God does with us. He will give you clear and present signs. But he chooses not, he chooses to be neutral. But, you know, as we know, this is unacceptable before God. Bonhoeffer says this, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. You must choose Jesus or the world. And all the people, they shout and they answer and they make their choice. The Bible says, and all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Pilate says, his blood's not on my hands, but the people say, well, he, his blood is on us. 
and it is on ours. And this is a shocking sentence, maybe one of the most shocking in all of scripture, firstly, because they accepted responsibility. And, and, and it's almost like, think of it on a grand scale. This needed to be said, where God says to the people, do you accept that you are breaking this covenant? Do you accept that the blood is gonna be on you? And, and, and everyone, the Bible says with one voice, said his blood be on us and on our children. They accepted responsibility. Isaiah says he was bruised for our transgressions, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. It was because of our choice that he had to walk the gauntlet of blood. But I don't know about you, for me, I see something even deeper in this sentence though. Their motivation was, their motivation was condemnation. But our motivation is pleading for grace. The people said his blood be on us. It's almost like God used their confession, even though they had the wrong motivation to bring about the right results. When they said that, God says, that's enough for me. And you know, just 40, 50 days later, 3,000 people are gonna be saved and baptized in one day. After that, Saul becomes Paul and begins a mass evangelization. All of a sudden, Israel begins to turn. And even to today, there is a revival going on in Israel of people turning to Yeshua as their Lord and their Savior. And it's happening so frequently at such a level that the Jewish leaders are trying to clamp down again because the blood of Jesus is coming upon them and their children. But can I say even more so, for me, out of a different place and out of a different motivation, I plead this, Lord, let your blood be upon me and let it be upon my children and my children's children to every generation, Lord God. God, I want the blood, I want the forgiveness, I want the healing, I want the reconciliation. Lord, I want the blood that redeems, the blood that heals, the blood that makes whole. Lord, I want the blood that brings power and the blood that brings me close to you again, the blood that lifts me towards heaven, the blood that I don't deserve, the blood that I could never earn, the blood that's freely given, the blood that holds grace, the blood that holds redemption, the blood that exists forever and ever, the blood that gets on the throne, the blood that is in heaven by his own blood. He went into the holy place that no man can enter so that the veil may be torn, that we might be received by grace. It is the blood of Jesus. There is no substitute. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. The blood, the blood, we could never earn it. We could never deserve it, God. But you freely gave your blood and you took up the cross and you walked the path of suffering, took the piercings, took the beatings, and out from your side poured blood and water to wash us and to baptize us clean for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. May his blood be on us and on our children. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.